0: Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin has six lines to fit your style and financing to fit any budget. Through November 30th, choose 12 months no payments and no interest, plus 20% off installation. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now
2: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. The Kyle Rittenhouse jury was selected late last evening. The opening statements are underway now. The prosecution has finished its and right now the defense has been going on for, I would say, close to a half hour. It is an interesting perspective on this, and I've been try- trying to follow this. And we're we're gonna we're gonna spend a lot of time over the next week or so, you know, covering the developments in the trial. But opening statements are very very important because they're the chance for both the prosecution and the defense to give a roadmap of what they think the evidence is going to show. The way it works under the law is a defendant because they do not have a burden of proof. The burden of proof is on the state. A defense doesn't have to give an opening statement. And a lot of times what happens is the defense will um, pass on giving an opening statement immediately after the prosecutions and they'll reserve the right to do it before the defense case. In this particular case the defense attorney has chosen not to do that. And he's in the process of it. What's also kind of interesting is over the objection of the prosecution the defense attorney is using a number of things that presumably will be marked into evidence later on. Um, photographs of the night um, little clips, video clips, et cetera, to really lay out the defense's theory of defense. Uh, I guess, and again, the, the, ultimately the jury's going to have to decide, you know, which version of events is correct. Some of the more interesting developments that are coming forth in the defense argument is the prosecution's theory is that Kyle Rittenhouse came to Kenosha as a vigilante looking for trouble. Here's what the defense's theory of this is, which is a little bit different than maybe what people have heard before. The defense's theory, now this is just their theory expressed in their opening statement, is that Rittenhouse, even though he lived with his mother in Antioch, Illinois, he had significant ties to Kenosha County. His father lived in Kenosha, and he, he worked as a lifeguard at a rec center in, in Kenosha County. So the, the prosecute, the defense's theory is that it, it wasn't that he came to Kenosha to act as a vigilante. It's that he came to Kenosha and he was staying with a friend of her, his. What happened is, this is again the defense theory, they saw the rioting and looting that was going on, um, the first night or the second night of the riots. And the following morning, what they did is they went down to, to take a look at, at the area and to help clean up graffiti. That's what happened. While they were there, they, ran, they met a number of people, including the owner of Of one of the places that had been vandalized and they got to talking to him and they met some other people these folks decided hey we're gonna come back this evening and we're gonna protect your other businesses so that your your car lot doesn't get looted or these other car lots don't get looted so the defense's theory essentially is that it's not like hey this guy saw this and came to Kenosha looking for trouble it's he was in Kenosha he watched these TV accounts heard these various accounts went down to see for himself ended up talking to some people who had been victimized by the looting rioting, or whatever you want to call it, and then agreed to come back that night and stand guard together with a lot of other people. So that that's the defense's theory, which, I, I, I mean, ultimately... Does it change how a jury is going to view the, those few moments that are going to be out there with regard to the, the shootings and stuff? No, but at the same time, again, a lot of the prosecution's theory is that Rittenhouse was a was a vigilante looking for trouble, came there looking to get involved. The defense is no, that's not that's not it. It's a lot more complicated than that. In the opening statement for the defense, they are also going to clearly the, the first man that was shot by Rittenhouse um because a gentleman named mr rosenbaum and they're going to be um the 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 argument is clearly that that rosenbaum was menacing to rittenhouse and they charged him and that's going to be i think one of the keys for the self-defense sort of thing that this was there have been prior contacts and things like that how that all plays out i don't know but this is it's shaping up as a very complicated case and for people who think that it's a a, a no pun intended dead bang winner one way or the other for either the prosecution or the defense. I, I'm here to tell you it, it's not. All right. I, I, I'm going to do something I, I rarely do, except when we're presented with these these big trials that have captured everybody's uh, attention. I just want to do this for one segment. Um, I'm going to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 855. Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. Do you have any questions. I, I don't want this to turn into a, well, I think Kyle Rittenhouse is guilty as sin, or I think, you know, free Kyle, he's a hero. I don't want this to turn into what you think the trial is going to turn out to. We, we can discuss that later on. But um, I, I, as people know, I'm a former federal prosecutor, and I prosecuted high-profile cases for 12 or 13 years and have been a commentator on all sorts of trials that have occurred over the years. This is one, it took, you know, 14 months to get it to trial, and now we are at the early stages. If somebody has a question about the proceedings or where we're going to go from here, or what the different theories are, or what the prosecution's going to try to do, or what the defense is going to try to do. Well, we will, over the course of, you know, the next couple weeks, take a couple segments and just to allow, if, if, if I know the answer, I'll, I'll try to give you the answer. I'll give you my best guess. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Just an open question. Is there anything that's been going on thus far that you wonder, why was this done? Why wasn't this done? What are they trying to accomplish? Where do we go from here questions about the written house the procedure as the trial now gets underway 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line back in just a minute
1: back to take your calls here's wtmj's jeff wagner 855-616-1620.
2: 855-616-1620. That's the accurate mortgage talk and text line. Um, yeah, right now it's an open line. I rarely do this, but I know th- we've been talking about the Kyle Rittenhouse situation for essentially since it happened over 14 months ago. The trial has now started. I admit I'm kind of fascinated by it. I'm watching the live feeds. I've been listening to the arguments. The, the theories are, are markedly different. As to, you know, why Kyle, why Kyle Rittenhouse was there and, and what led him to shoot the people that he shot, you know, where this ultimately goes, don't know. But do you have a question about it? Is there anything that you're wondering thus far? And, again, I don't want to get into a discussion of, oh, I think he's guilty as hell or I think he, he's, you know, a savior and is a hero. There, there'll be enough time for those conversations. But I'm talking about stuff that's going on now. Do you have you – know, is there anything you're wondering about? And if I can answer it, I will. Marcus on the north side. Marcus, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey
3: Jeff, uh, great topic. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, just quick, two points. Um, my my first point, real fast, is this: is, is, is what is the situation from your theory that the, how he got there? As far as the mother, that could she be implicated in this situation? And then second, how come there's not enough black jurors on this panel that they have? and that at some point, will they release the names of all of the people that were selected for this for this trial? Is that going to be public information, or is that going to be concealed? And I'll hang up and listen to your
2: answers. Okay, Thank well, you. No, thanks for the call, Marcus, and thanks for listening. Um, as far as liability for the mother, I, I understand people are, are saying, you know, okay, what, what kind of mother brings the kid there? Now, I think we got to wait. Like I said, the, the, the theory... That I heard today that the defense is going to argue is that hey he he didn't come to Kenosha looking for trouble. He was staying with a friend. He had all sorts of you know contacts with Kenosha, and this was just something that, that happened. So I, charges for the mother, I think that's unlikely. Let's talk about your second question, though, Marcus, which is getting a lot of attention nationwide, which is wh- what's going on with the the racial makeup of the jury. Now, my understanding is. There is one black person on the jury. They they pick twenty jurors now, um, and what they will do is you, you can only have twelve deliberate. So they have twenty because they want to make sure you have enough jurors so that if something happens during the course of the trial, you know, and, and that it does that happens from time to time. Somebody gets sick, somebody has a family emergency, they have to drop off. Sometimes you know a, a juror, I don't know, goes and decides to have contact and investigate the case themselves and they get en- end up getting bumped. So that's why you ha- always have more jurors than you need. In this case, they haven't designated the alternates yet, so that's why they they have 20. And presumably, let's say everything goes according to Hoyle, and what happens is by the time the case is ready to go to the jury, you you still have 20. What they will do and different judges do it different ways. They'll they'll go through a process Most times it's just a rant. It's random, you know, where they just pull 12 names out of a hat and those 12 end up being the the actual jurors and everybody else gets thanked and and sent home or 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 put in a different room or something like that. So we don't know right now. Nobody knows which of the 20 are going to ultimately turn out to be the the 12 that decided the racial makeup is is sort of an issue. Now, what happens is you don't select, when you call jurors, you don't select jurors, you don't say the the clerk of courts, for example, just goes off the jury list, and and you don't check to see what race they are, what gender they are, whatever. In this particular case, for the 150 people that were assembled, I believe there are only two blacks. Now, that doesn't, you know, Kenosha is about what Kenosha is about ninety percent white, so that's you would have thought that there would have been at least a couple more black people in the jury pool, the the overall pool. Um, so that's how many people they had to work with, and there is one black person out of the twenty. That's statistically a little bit low, but it, it's not intentional. And as a matter of fact, you couldn't it wouldn't be constitutional to go out and say, Okay, we need to find more black people and so let's bump bump a bunch of white people or hispanic people or whatever i i do i, I will say this I, I think i was a little disappointed in that just because of public perception and stuff i i think it's unfortunate that there's not a couple more members of minority groups people of color on the panel but it, it's not any sort of conspiracy that caused it it's just it, it's just the random luck of the draw the people who got picked. And, and let's face it, Kenosha is a predominantly white county. It's not just drawn from the city of Kenosha. It's drawn from the county. So, the, you, you know, your, uh, the odds of getting a large number of members of, uh, of of people of color was never going to be great. And in this particular case, I think in the whole jury pool, that they, they only got two. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Let's talk to Janelle. Uh, Janelle, you're on WTMJ. Hi Jeff. How'd you know?
4: Um, actually, uh, your previous call kind of uh, asked the exact question that I was going to ask as it pertained to um, Kyle's mother. But maybe if I can rephrase it a different sure. way, and just out of a legal curiosity, wh- because um, these shootings occurred when he was underage, right? Correct? He was seventeen. He was seventeen. Um, Who's 17? So what is sort of like the legal order of operations in terms of culpability? Like, uh, there was curfew there, for example. So in theory, couldn't anybody who was out past curfew, um, be, be charged with that? And if any minors were out, out past curfew, wouldn't they, you know, I, I guess maybe if you could clarify a little bit, even just broadly, sure. how parental or guardian, um, Right. Legality pertains to, to children who commit well,
2: crimes. Potentially. Right. Yeah. Thanks. For in, in this case, it really in this case, I, I don't think there's there's liability. I mean, he's 17 years old. I, I think you'd really be stretching to try to find parental liability. Now, a number of people get I don't know the circumstances that caused mom to, to bring him to Kenosha. And you might say it was bad judgment and things like that. But we. You know we have We have crimes in the city of Milwaukee, as I talk about regularly, that are committed horrible crimes they 're committed by thirteen and fourteen and fifteen year olds much less seventeen year olds and, and you don 't have the conversation here we 're going to charge mom or we 're going to charge dad and and yes it 's true that there there was a curfew and theoretically, I guess you could have charged everybody that was there that night with with violating the the curfew, but as a practical matter they don 't do that i 'm just saying that from, from a perspective of trying to find legal liability for the mom, I, I, I don't think, I think that's kind of a red herring. I don't think that that's going to be a, an issue with regard to this trial. Now, again, I understand people might say, you know, what kind of mom lets her, her 17-year-old kid get go into a situation like this? You know, why, why would she let him do it in the first place? And that, of course, is a different story. Um, here's an interesting text, and, and it is, in many respects, it's a $64,000 question. Jeff, in your opinion, will Rittenhouse testify himself? I can't see him getting off if he doesn't tell his story. That's that's an interesting point because, first of all, the jury will be instructed that a defendant is presumed innocent until proven guilty by the state beyond a reasonable doubt. There is no obligation to testify on behalf of a defendant, and um, a jury will be told that if a defendant chooses not to testify, you can't use that fact against them. Now, that's what the instructions say. In a case like this, I think... I, I, I agree with the general premise that regardless of how you instruct a jury, a jury is going to want to hear from the defendant. If the defendant's defense is, I I was afraid for my life, I thought I was getting attacked, I felt I had to do this. I think, you know, clearly the defense is going to try to get the elements of that theory in by the photographs, by the arguments, by the testimony of other witnesses. I, I think as a practical matter, and this is before any of that evidence has come in, I think a jury is going to want to hear from Kyle Rittenhouse. Now, he's not under an obligation to testify. And the, the problem, of course, if you put Rittenhouse on the stand, I don't know what kind of witnesses he's going to be. And you also open him up to cross-examination, and, and maybe that opens the doors for all sorts of things. So it's a very risky move to put him on on the stand. As a general rule, in the abstract, I think it's tough. I agree with our texter. I think it's tough to sell a self-defense theory. I I had to shoot these people because this was the deal. This guy was stalking me. He was attacking me. He was running at me. He was grabbing my rifle. I was afraid he was going to shoot me. You can make those arguments, but I think the jury is going to want to hear from a defendant. That's just, again, regardless of how you instruct the jury. So if if the decision is made not to put him on the witness stand and just to try to make that argument and say that the state hasn't proved its case, I guess it, it really, it's too soon to tell. If you were asking me, do I think that if you're going to try to sell that defense as a general rule, do you need to put the defendant on the stand? Yes, as a general rule. Now, maybe the way this trial proceeds, a cross examination, it doesn't become necessary. But regardless of instructions, I, I do think the jury's going to want to hear from Rittenhouse. I mean, I, I just think that's the way that I, I think that that's just human nature. Here. Um, Jeff, I'm surprised that the trial is being held in Kenosha County. No change of venue. Yeah, v- change of venue means you, you move it. This, the cr- offense occurred in Kenosha County. So you, you have the trial in the area where the offense occurred. Sometimes you move a case from a particular area because you feel you can't get impartial jurors. It's just, you know, it's just so well known. In this particular case, The the judges don't like to do that. And in this particular case, I think the thinking was, regardless of where we move it, unless we move it to Nome, Alaska... Everybody is going to have her- heard about this particular case. You know, we, we can go to Wausau and people are going to know what happened in, in Kenosha. And so I think what they tried to do is see if they could get 12 people or 20 people in this case who at least said that even though they had heard about the case, they feel that they could be open-minded enough so that they weren't going to, that, that they could have an open mind. And and so they were able to do it. I'm surprised they were able to get to that number that quickly, but that's why they they didn't go along with the change of venue they were going to try to get the jury and they apparently did all right a lot of different questions we we're going to revisit this from time to time over the course of the next couple weeks i think one thing i can add occasionally is at least my theory as to what's going on in the trial and why it's going on i do have a specific question that i want to discuss with you about something that's going on not in the courtroom but outside the courtroom and that's where we'll pick up in just a couple minutes
1: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
2: So very glad to have you with us. All right. Now, one of the things that I was thinking of as I was watching the jury selection in the Rittenhouse case yesterday is would would I want to be a juror? Now I I look I, I understand there's no way anybody's ever gonna put me on a jury, but I'm thinking if if I was just somebody who sells insurance and who lives in Kenosha County and I get that jury notice that says, say you show up yesterday morning at eight o'clock in the morning or wherever, and I'm sitting there and I all of a sudden find out, hey, I'm in the jury pool for the Rittenhouse case, would I be sitting there thinking boy, I, I, this would be a great opportunity. I'd love to be on this jury. It would be absolutely fascinating. Or would I be thinking, there's no way in the world I, I want this. There, I, I, you couldn't pay me money to be on this jury. How can I get off it? And I know that that was a thought that was going through a lot of people's heads yesterday when they were you know, potentially there for jury selection. Now, while the jury selection was going on, That was one of the things that a lot of media accounts were doing. People were going out and they were interviewing folks in Kenosha saying, you know, what do you feel about, how do you feel about being on a jury like this? And and the comments were all across the board. Some people saying we'd love it. Other people were saying, well, I'd be afraid for my life because I know there's all these passions that are out there and I'd be afraid that, you know, somebody's going to find out my identity. And by the way, one of our callers asked in the last segment whether I think the identities will ever become public. My guess is no, but I'm not. I'm not positive about that, but my guess is probably not. But anyhow, there were some people that were saying, gee, I don't, um, you, you know, I'm, I'm worried about this. I'm afraid of this, etc." One of the things that I did notice yesterday, and, and this is, look, I, I don't know whether Kyle Rittenhouse is going to be found guilty or not guilty. I guess at some point in time, when the case ultimately goes to the jury, because it's what I get paid money to do, I I will make a prediction as to how the case turns out. That's just what I'm supposed to do. But at this point in time, I I really I don't know. And I, I say that honestly. I think this case is really up for grabs, and I think it's going to depend on how the evidence comes in in this particular case. But one of the things that's going on that I do not think is constructive right now is you already have protesters who have assembled and are going to maintain a presence at the courthouse for the balance of the trial. For example, um, you know, yesterday you had a, a small protest that was led by Justin Blake, who is the uncle of of Jacob Blake. Um, and, and he was down there, and and he was saying, I'm, I'm just looking at the newspaper accounts, he's saying, there can be some type of justice in this town that seems to be, from the world's view, racist. It means we can be involved with something positive as he's carrying a large red, black, and green Pan-African flag. You had other people who were Rittenhouse supporters who were there to show support for Kyle. He, he's he been through a lot. And apparently these different protest groups have decided that they are going to assemble on the courthouse on on a daily basis, not assemble after after the verdict is returned or while the jury is deliberating. They want to be there on a daily basis. And people have a right to assemble. Look, I I understand that. But regardless of how this case turns out, there are going to be people who are on either side who are going to be extremely unhappy if Rittenhouse is convicted you're going to have a lot of people who think that okay this is a guy who's doing nothing but trying to defend himself from a, a mob who was who was now found guilty of this On the other hand, if he is acquitted, you're going to have a lot of people who are going to be extremely unhappy saying, look, we have now just declared open season on people who are, you know, uh, showing up at these protests. So this this is a very volatile situation. And when I see that at this stage, there are people who've decided to to show up and at least claim that they're going to be there on a daily basis. You know, my, my point is. I guess my question is, what what do you think you're trying to accomplish? What is the goal of being there on a daily basis to show support for Kyle Rittenhouse or to show support for the prosecution? What what do you hope to accomplish? Do you hope to intimidate the jurors who might see you? At some point in time yesterday, they said there was some chance that you could even hear inside the courtroom. Well, if I was the judge in that case, and, and that happens during the trial, Something you know, you got to shut that down somehow. But the the presence of of protesters, and again, this isn't a question about whether or not people have a right to do something. It's about whether or not this is the right thing to do, and whether or not showing up and staging protests while the trial is underway, I, I candidly, I don't think that's good for anything. I, I just, I don't think that's good for Kenosha. Don't think it's good for the judicial process. I I think there's nothing good to come of this. And whether you want to show up and show your support for Kyle Rittenhouse or whether you want to show your support and your belief that Kyle Rittenhouse is a murderer who needs to be put in prison for the rest of his life, this is one of those situations where I think if you cared about the larger community, you, you might stay off the streets for... The time being our number 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line you know daily protests at the courthouse while this trial is going on seems to me to the best way i could put it is it's not constructive what do you think 855-616-1620 we discuss jeff wagner on wtmj 855-616-1620, Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I, there, there are protesters who are already outside the, the courthouse in Kenosha, urging well, justice for the the quote unquote victims of Kyle Rittenhouse, or or justice for Rittenhouse, or whatever. I don't think at this point in time that is helpful. Let's start with Mike on the Northwest Side. Mike, you are on WTMJ.
3: Hi, uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Uh, my thoughts are they, they want an unbiased jur- jury, right? Right. And then they got these protesters outside that are trying to bias the public or the media or whatever. Uh, I just think it puts a blemish on the justice system and on the whole procedure. Uh, if they want to protest, put them in a park somewhere like a half a mile away. They can do all they want over there, but... Keep them out of there and keep us clear and on focus on the justice process.
2: Well, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting you my, say that, my, Mike.
3: Oh, I'm sorry, it's it, it just
2: annoying. Well, you know, it's well, It's interesting you say that. I'm looking at the account of, of the jury selection in the Chicago Tribune this morning, for example, and this, this is what they write. They say potential jurors yesterday confessed fears about publicly deciding the case, including concerns about how the public will respond to the verdict. Some described fearing for their own safety, saying they borrowed cars or caught a ride to the courthouse so no one would know what their personal vehicles looked like. You know, jurors should not be under that kind of pressure. You know, that that's, you know, jurors shouldn't be Worried about? Gee, it, how is the public going to perceive my my verdict? They should decide the case one way or the other. I'm with you based on the evidence that presented in the courtroom. And if the purpose of protest, regardless of what the pro the people are, which side they're on, if that if that is to influence and try to sway the jury, I'm with you. I, I think if they get loud enough. You, you maybe have to look at saying, "Okay, can we figure out a way to move these?" I mean, people have a right to assemble, but they don't have a right to try to disrupt or influence a court proceeding. So,
3: well, speaking of that, I think that these jurors, you know, even if they have borrowed cars or whatever, people are going to tail them, or whatever, and uh, they're going to find out who they are anyway if they really want to. So, yeah, well, afraid I, to be on the street. Yeah, no,
2: th- thanks. Well, a lot of people were. I mean, I, I mean, a lot of people were incredibly reluctant because, look, let's. Let's let's face it. The, the the judge and the you know everybody's going to say you have to decide this case based on you know what goes on in the courtroom. But again, let us be honest. We live in the real world. the, the jurors the, the jurors know what happened in Kenosha. I mean, I think everybody is familiar about you know the the outbreaks of violence and stuff that have occurred you know across the country over the last couple of years. And I, I mean, clearly, I'm, I'm sure that's in the back of their minds. How were this first be perceived. If we acquit Kyle Rittenhouse, is that going to be the start, is that going to be the 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 match that lights the fuse that's going to start, you know, more more misconduct or more looting. On the other hand, if we convict Kyle Rittenhouse, is that going to be is that going to be a fuse and then you're going to have all sorts of other people, the militias that are coming into town to protest. Those those are issues there and and you want to try to get the jury as far away from thinking about that as possible. And I guess if if you've got like protests and counter protests that are going on and the jurors have to drive by him to get into the courthouse or whatever. It, it's just not constructive, which is why I just wish these protesters, at least at the moment, that the people that want to send messages, whatever those messages are, there'll be a time for that later on. But just let the court system work. You don't need to be down there. You don't need to be getting on television every day because you know that's what's going to happen. You don't need to be in the New York Times every day talking about, well, we're here for this or we're here for that. That's not constructive to the process. Let's talk to um, Connie. Connie, you're on WTMJ.
4: I I agree with you. Um, I'm all for protest, okay, Um, uh, freedom of speech. Mm -hmm. But I think, I mean, for God's sake, the trial just started. Uh, If you want to be out there to show your support later on when – you know when the jury's deliberating and they don't have to hear it. Yeah,
2: right. Or, uh, or drive then, by it or whatever. Yeah, I, I'm. I,
4: yeah, you know, then all fine and good. But for God's sake, I was on a child years back and was scared to death because we were sending somebody away for life, and just having his family members in the courtroom okay. was scary enough to me. Yeah Uh, because I live in Milwaukee, and you know darn well Milwaukee's a small town. Right. So you're going to run into these people that are looking at you. I can only imagine what it would be like to be a juror and have to be terrified for your wife. Well, well, hopefully. Every time that you're going in there, and you shouldn't be intimidated by... By either side.
2: Right. No, Connie, uh, and that's it. Now, hopefully, I mean, I mean, hopefully there's precautions that are taken and stuff. But but that's why I, I go back to my basic premise. This, it's the protests at this point in time, regardless of what side they're on, it, it's not constructive. And if, and I understand the people, you know, who are behind some of the protests say, well, we're just trying to call attention to issues and, and we want this all to be peaceful and stuff. Well, OK, if you really believe that then what you should do is go home. (laughs) What you should do is go home and let the justice system work. And, you know, not, not be there trying to, you know, send a message or get your faces on television or, you know, be written about, like I say, in the Washington Post or whatever. Let the process work. And let the jury system work and let the evidence be presented in the courtroom as opposed to here. We want to use this kind of as a to demonstrate what our particular cause is, because if you want justice to be done showing up and demonstrating at the courthouse on a daily basis while the trial is going on, that's that's kind of counterproductive. If that's really what you want, we'll see how this all works out. This is Jeff Wagner. Live
1: from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: Interestingly, for people who follow the stock market, the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 147 points today, but more significantly, that puts it over over 36,000. And um, I I think that... I'm not sure what the record all-time close is, but if it closes over 36,000, if it's able to sustain these gains from today, it's going to be close to that, if not at that, which is a good thing for people who are invested in the stock market. All right. I want to revisit something we talked about in a diff, from a different perspective yesterday, because I got some interesting responses and I thought it was worth going back to. The, um, It's funny how a lot of times we we lose historical perspective. Let me back into this topic. All right, I am am old enough. I was too young to serve in the Vietnam War. But first of all, I consider myself to be a student of history. And I'm also, I'm a child of the 70s. So I I understand and remember what the different protests were like over the years. I, I remember as a kid growing up, when Lyndon Johnson was in the White House. I'm old enough to to remember that. And I can remember all the protests about Vietnam. And and if you've watched documentaries of the 60s, you've seen this. And you've seen the hate and the vitriol that was pointed at Then President Johnson in the you know mid in the late sixties in particular about his involvement in Vietnam and all the things and all the horrible things that were said about Lyndon Johnson and all you have to do is you just go back and you kind of look at some of the documentaries of the time you have people taking to the streets and if there was a now this was back in the day when I wasn't familiar with what these words necessarily meant but you see these kids walking down with the signs that you know blank this blank that you know a very very hostile, very, very negative towards LBJ. Richard Nixon gets elected president. And it, it doesn't change. If for anybody who thinks that Gee, we've we become coarser as a society and the comments we direct towards our presidents. Well, all I would do is, again, direct you. If you weren't old enough or you weren't around during the Watergate era, just l- look at some of the documentaries and stuff and the protests about Watergate and the things that people said and the words that were used to describe Richard Nixon and all the different protests. Uh, no question about it. Okay, flash forward. So then let's think about, I mean, just more recent times. More recent times, uh, George Bush, George you know, W. Bush, war in Iraq after uh, after nine eleven well the 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 protests that were directed at him and i can remember being on this radio station sitting in his very chair you know covering for example the bush re-election where he um in 2004 and you know all the different stuff that was said about you know bush and 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 things like that and just just the horrible things and the coarsening and then barack obama gets elected and the same thing is true the different things and the hateful stuff and the hateful and the nasty comments that were directed at barack obama and then we come to 2016 and Donald Trump beats Hillary Clinton in the last 4 years all the different things that were said about Donald Trump and agree i understand Donald Trump you know contributed to it he gave as good as he got trump sort of you know the, the big thing about trump is you know he responded to the critics the people that were out in the streets carrying the signs that said blank this and blank that and blank that with regard to trump he he responded in kind which was i think different than, you know, his predecessors who pretty much took it, but, but it was like no holds barred. And it's been that way, at least I can remember since the sixties and, and this, again, some presidents have elicited a stronger response, but you know, it's been no holds barred and there's been no limits on the language that you can use and things like that, which brings me to Joe Biden. Well, as we talked about yesterday, this is for people who aren't familiar with this. There there's this chant out there that says "Let's go Brandon." The history of this is a couple weeks ago there's a NASCAR race and the winner of the race is a guy named Brandon. Okay, that's his first name. So, on live TV, there's people that are are standing around the podium while he's being interviewed on live TV and the crowd is chanting Well, a bad word, blank Joe Biden. That's what they're chanting. It's the F word, bad word. Can't say it on the radio, but they're they're chanting this. And it's very clear. And the person who's interviewing... The winner, Brandon, is, is whether whether they're trying to pretend that what the crowd is saying isn't what the crowd is saying, or whether they're trying to, they're just embarrassed that this is going out on live TV, that the reporter says, oh, they're chanting, let's go, Brandon. Well, that's not what they're chanting. We all know what they're chanting. You could hear what they're chanting. So this, over the last couple weeks, has become the, the meme. The let's go, Brandon, is a representation of Blank Joe Biden. <laughs> that, that, that's what it is. And it's become sort of commonplace. You've got politicians that are saying that. You've got people that are saying it on social media. It's, it's sort of a PG version of what people were saying about Donald Trump and Lyndon Johnson and Bill Clinton and Barack Obama and George Bush and on and Richard Nixon for, uh, again, the last 50 years. But this is like the PG version of this. Which brings us to the story about Southwest Airlines. On Friday, there's a flight, Southwest Airlines flight from Houston to Albuquerque. And if you've ever been on Southwest Airlines, and I'm a huge fan of Southwest Airlines, they're, they the pilots and the flight attendants, they, they try to be funny. They, they try to be jokey with the crowd. And I, I could give you countless examples of that, but they try to be funny and stuff. So the pilot... As he's landing the plane or something, he's coming over the announcement, and the the last thing he says is, Let's go, Brandon. All right, which is again the meme for, you know, blank Joe Biden. Well, interestingly enough, there's an associated press reporter who happens to be on this flight, and her story is that she was actually working on a story about, "Oh my gosh, isn't this terrible that, you know, this is this is the this is what people are saying and how disrespectful the president." So she hears it, she apparently makes a beeline, tries to get into the cockpit. Well, that's not going anywhere, and she's told that, you know, no you're not getting into the cockpit, and, you know, you you have to leave and if you try to pursue this, you're going to be arrested. So she writes this story that's out there this This is what the Southwest pilot said, and then it kind of takes off and it becomes viral. For example, I'm looking at one of the tweets um, that's out there. This is out of the New York Post. Here's what somebody writes. Um, There is something absolutely chilling about a Southwest Airlines pilot signing off with Let's Go Brandon. It's the reckless and cult-like behavior that left unchecked festers and evolves into actions like people trying to overturn a free and fair election. It's reckless and cult-like behavior like this. So this is how it is perceived on the left. Now, my guess is if the person who's texting this was old enough to be protesting Lyndon Johnson or Richard Nixon or George Bush or Donald Trump, they would have probably been in the streets saying a lot worse than that. But now people saying, let's go, Brandon. Oh, this is this evil cult. How dare you say things like this? All right. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. There's the accident mortgage talk and text line. Southwest says it's going to conduct an internal investigation. Some people are saying we're never going to fly Southwest again because the pilot did this. Here is my take on it. Should the pilot have gone into political stuff? He shouldn't have. I, I, I think he was wrong. Should he be fired? No. Should he be disciplined? No. Should they tell him, don't do this again, and then send out a reminder saying, look, we encourage you to be jokey and friendly and stuff, but just avoid politics because you're going to have people out there on either side who just absolutely have no sense of humor regarding this at all, and they will be offended, and they will accuse, I don't know, the people who say, let's go, Brandon, of being part of a dangerous cult. 855-616-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I guess... I just find this whole debate to be sort of interesting. I find it to be, I mean, given the things that have been said about presidents during the course of my lifetime, Let's Go Brandon, to me, is a pretty PC version of all of this stuff. Should the Southwest pilot have said it? No. Should there be anything more than a talking to and telling him not to do it again? That's how I think you resolve it. What do you think? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line.
1: Your Maserati is waiting. This October at Potawatomi, win a 2021 Maserati Levante or a share of nearly 300000 in cash and prizes. Play all month for entries, Tuesday and Saturday prize drawings, and a November 6th grand finale. Drive your dream. Win your Maserati at Potawatomi. Visit PaceBig.com slash Maserati for details. Must be 21 years old and a club member to play.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. You
2: you know, there's a lady in Grafton, and a matter of fact, I think she called in this graffiti show a couple days ago, who's got a sign in her front yard that, that actually says, you know, blank Joe Biden. But, but it doesn't say blank. It says the, the word. Now, I, candidly, I just, as I often say, just because you have a right to do something doesn't mean it's the right, it's the right thing to do. And I think that's over the top. I, I just, you know, I, I wouldn't want to live in my neighborhood, you know, with, with somebody that's got a sign, whether it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump or, or whatever. I, I think that's over the top. Th- this whole let's go Brandon thing, which is a PG reference to that, that sentiment, that, that's something different. Now, I, I guess, do I think, For example, on the Southwest Airline that the pilot should have injected himself into politics. No. I think he shouldn't have. But of course, all the, this outrage. Oh, they, they, this is. I, I'm the Associated Press reporter. I'm going to storm into the cockpit to get an, a response on this. Oh, you know, lighten up for goodness sakes. And then some of the comments. Oh, this is a reckless cult type behavior that leads to you know insurrections. You know, you, you really need to get over yourself and have some sense of history. Given the way that political leaders have been referred to, that this kind of PG thing is harmless. Now, having said that. I, I, in, in a business setting, you know, you're working for the airline, I think the pilot was wrong to have said that. So the question is, what do you do to him? And my response is, you whistle him aside, and maybe you send out a memo saying, look, you know, we just, Just knock this off because, you know, people feel very strongly about this one way or the other. Just don't get in the middle of this. If you want to be jokey and clever, do it in a fashion that doesn't invoke politics. 855-616-1620. But the idea that people are calling for him to be fired or I'm never going to fly southwest again. You really need to get over yourselves. Jeff, I'm a Biden supporter. I think the Southwest story is completely overblown. Should the pilot be fied, fired? Absolutely not. Did I like what he said? No. Will I still fly Southwest? You know, absolutely. Jeff, it's a sad state of affairs that the people of this country have such disrespect for the president. Okay, i, I you know, that, that's why I kind of went through the, this this history lesson about, you know, this is, you know, one, one of the things that, you know, comes and, and I mean, I just went back to Lyndon Johnson, I, I'm sure if you go back in history, and, and you look at I don't know the way people viewed Abraham Lincoln, for example, when we were in the middle of the Civil War. I I think that that would probably be a lesson in, you know, disrespect for for presidents. And you could find all those different examples over time. And I guess given given that, you know, um, let's go, Brandon seems to me to be pretty harmless. But having said that, I mean, I, you know. I think it's wise to tell employees at companies, pilots at Southwest, just avoid politics. But that's it. Jeff, I saw reports that the pilot actually said, let's go Braves instead of let's go Brandon. Regardless of what he said, I think it's being blown way out of proportion. Yeah, I, I think that that's, I, I think that that's true. I, I don't know. I mean, I heard those reports as well. Don't know about that, but um, that's it. Jeff, I understand the presidents have needed to take criticism, some foul. I think the Let's Go Brandon has gone too far. I was at a high school football game with a group of 10-year-olds who were chanting it. Um, well, okay, that's, um, that's that's it. Jeff, I just think it's disrespectful. Well, okay, it, it is it is disrespectful, but the thing in, in a free country, you get to be disrespectful. That that's, that's the thing. You get to say things if you don't like Donald Trump. You get to say things if you don't like Joe Biden. You get to say things if you don't like Lyndon Johnson. You get to say those things. And I guess my only point is that I think Let's Go Brandon is a lot less objectionable than a lot of the things that have been said just over the last four years, much less over the last 50 years. Was the pilot right to say it? No, because you shouldn't be injecting politics into this should he lose his job oh no i mean absolutely you know not so i think you know that's how you you know th- that's how you have to um I think that's how you have to handle it. Um Let's see, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Jeff, have you not watched what's happened to political discourse in the country and seen what happens when politics spills onto commercial airlines? It's the last place for this sort of joke to be taking place, especially from the pilot. I, I understand. That's why you tell them, don't do this again. That, that I that's why you tell them that. But for everybody, who, to me, firing somebody for something which is, I think you could make a strong argument that it's innocuous. Yes, it offended the Associated Press reporter. And yes, she wrote a story about it. And then, yes, you know, it ended up going viral and you have people saying this is like a cult sort of thing. Well, I, I and maybe it offended some other people who were on that plane. And that, that's that's why Southwest should say, knock this off and don't do it again, but at the same time, um, this idea that, OK, we're going to make you lose your job, et cetera. Jeff, the pilot was foolish to say what he did, but the media is making way too much out of this. I'm sure he was taken to task by personnel, but to fire him or even suspend him, I think, is taking it too far. And I guess that's I, I agree with, you know, that. That's the whole issue. Jeff, per normal, liberals can dish it out, but they can't take it. No, the pilots should not have said it. But overall, this is nothing compared to what we have heard before. Well, I think there's an element of that. Jeff, wasn't Robert De Niro always... In public, getting applauded when he used the f word and directed at Donald Trump, yes, how quickly we we forget you know remember that that was the big thing. De Niro would say that, and he would be applauded, and we were told that well that might be a little bit coarse, but still this is how we feel about you know President Trump and we deserve it I, and he deserves it well, that's part of discourse that that's the reality, and I guess I look at let's go brandon as being kind of harmless. it will run its course. And there will be other sort of phrases that are, you know, going to come up. But this idea that, oh, this is terrible that people are saying this about Joe Biden. Well, I mean, again, people have been saying this about presidents and people in large numbers have been saying it about presidents. And my guess is, like I say, some of the people who are pretending to be most offended about let's go, Brandon, if they are of a certain age and if they came of age in the 60s and 70s, my guess is they were out in the streets saying much, much worse things about Lyndon Johnson or Richard Nixon. Just saying.
1: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
2: A lot of people weighing in on the Let's Go Brandon story. Jeff, I agree with you. I love Southwest. Normally enjoy their employees' humor. I don't think this is a big deal at all. No need to fire the pilot. Go Southwest, but stay away from politics. Yeah, see, that's that's the way I think you, you handle this. This is... Of course, I think blown out of proportion because you've got an associated press reporter who's got her own little agenda and she's appalled. And then, of course, you've got people who are appalled by this and they've got their own agenda and all to to me. Was the employee, was the pilot in this case correct? No, he just stay away from politics. There's all sorts of other things that you can joke about, and that's the way you handle it. You talk to the pilot, you tell him, don't do it again. And I think most people would feel that way. As for me, I'm scheduled to be on a Southwest flight Saturday. I'm not canceling my flight because some pilot somewhere else said, let's go, Brandon.
1: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
2: Welcome back. The Rittenhouse trial is back in session. The first witness the state calls, and, and as a as a former prosecutor, you you always want to start off on a high note. Um, that that's you, you want to start off with a witness that's going to set the the stage for the the trial. And you you want to build from there. And the worst thing you can do is put on a witness who is going to go south on you or something like that. When when I was trying cases, in the beginning of the trial, you you want to start off, like I say, you want to find somebody that you thought was going to be pretty much unimpeachable. And because you always had some witnesses that were going to be maybe more problematic for want of a better term than others. So the prosecution started off the first witness they called was is Kyle Rittenhouse's friend. He's the guy who purchased the, purchased the gun for Rittenhouse and he's testifying about how that all occurred and so that's that's the background so be interesting to see because like I say the the guy is a, is a friend of Rittenhouse's it'll be interesting to see what what if anything happens on cross-examination all right as Mike Spalding was just telling you there are today is is an election day we've been hearing about this for the longest time and and it's I've, I've always cautioned when you look at at national elections for example Off-year elections, are sometimes people read more into them. I mean, off-year election, for example, the midterms are next year. In most states, you have, like in Wisconsin, next year, next November, you've got the U.S. Senate seat that's currently occupied by Ron Johnson. That's going to be up. All the congressional seats are going to be up. Um, Half of the state Senate, right, a third of the state Senate, I guess, half of the state Senate's going to be up all of the state assembly is going to be up the governor's race is going to be up but in some states a handful of them new jersey and virginia for example the they're they're in the these off-year elections they're in the odd years and so this year you've got the virginia's governor race which is going on and we've we've talked about this before virginia is a state that used to be kind of a purple state and it would swing back and forth between republicans and democrats Lately, it's been a state that has been dominated by, by Democrats. And what you've seen in, for example, in the presidential election in 2020, what you saw is Joe Biden carried the state by about 10 points. And, and what happened is, a lot of voters who were conservative to moderate voters, particularly suburban voters, I think they they just they didn't like Donald Trump. That, that's just the bottom line. And even though they might be inclined to vote Republican, they voted for Biden, not so much, I think, because they loved Joe Biden, but because they, they didn't like Donald Trump. And in any event, Biden won Virginia by 10 points. Going into this year, the general perception was that uh, the Democrat candidate for governor is going to win handily. It's a guy named Terry McAuliffe, who served for one term as the governor of uh, Virginia a number of years ago. Very, very much an institutional Democrat, very connected to the Democratic Party. He's being challenged by a Republican named Glenn Youngkin, who's relative a relative newcomer to the political scene. And if you asked most of the, the pros... What do you think is going to happen? Well, the the conventional wisdom was, at least up until the last month or so, that McAuliffe's going to win in a a cakewalk. He might not win by 10 points, but he's, he's going to win handily. I think that has been turned on its head. If you look at a lot of the recent polls, Youngkin has pulled ahead. Um, a number of the polls are, are close within the margin of error, but I think most observers agree that the momentum is on the side of the Republican. And what? why is that the case? Well, part of it is because Joe Biden who is the top Democrat in the country, has become increasingly unpopular. As a matter of fact, if you look at his poll numbers, and I understand people sometimes are skeptical about polls, but if you look at the Biden poll numbers, he is polling lower, at this time in his term, he is polling lower than any other president in modern times, except Donald Trump. And you have a lot of people who are unhappy with Afghanistan, unhappy with the border, who are troubled by, you know, issues related to inflation, who don't believe Biden has handled COVID properly. So you've got all that that's going on, and you have a Republican who seized on this issue of local control and critical race theory in the schools and things like that, and the need for people to kind of take back their local government, from out of control, this would be the argument, out of control school boards and school administrations that are moving, in this case, the Commonwealth of Virginia in a direction they don't want to go. That issue is resonating and it's resonating in a big way. And if Yunkin wins, it's it's going to set the template I think, for how Republicans run in 2022, because it would be a huge upset. The last week or so, in a sign that I think that the Democrat, McAuliffe, understands his campaign is in trouble they've they've kind of switched tactics and now it's not like he's running against the republican it's like he's running against trump if you elect youngkin it's going to be trump 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 and they're trying to play no pun intended the trump card you know if that works that's going to be what the the template is for lots of democrats across the country hey if you elect this republican it's going to be, you know, all all you're doing is is electing, you know, Donald Trump. If that doesn't work, the message, I think, is going to be to the Republicans, hit on some of these local issues because you have this this huge turn leftward, especially in things like public education and stuff, that is going way faster than where the country is. So what's going to happen? Well, I I think up until a month ago, I would have told you, I, I think that even though it might be close, M- McAuliffe's going to win. If McAuliffe loses, it would be a huge upset. But you know, when I look at politics, I, I look at momentum. And I-, I guess this could go either way. But just everything I see in watching the Virginia race from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, everything I see shows that the passion, the the momentum is on the side of Yunkin, the Republican. And I, I think he's going to pull it off if You know, I I think that's my prediction could be completely wrong. And then you can text me later on and say, boy, you really missed this one. But I I think he's going to pull it off again because of the passion that is out there. We've seen the effect that passion has in these closely contested races. We've seen it in Wisconsin constantly, where one side is much more motivated than the other side to get out their voters. And uh, to me, all the passion is on the side of the Republican. This... I guess if McAuliffe wins, would that be a huge surprise? No, he, he's supposed to win. But I think the momentum is on the side of Yunkin, and I wouldn't be surprised by the time that all the votes are counted if Yunkin ends up pulling off a close win, which would have a seismic effect moving forward. Now, let's turn locally. The, the issue, which is local race, Mequon-Thienesville school board, four members of the school board are up for recall. And th- this is the recall the, the people pushing the recall have been very aggressive since last summer, and whether it's getting the signatures or expressing their opinion that essentially the MEC1Thinesville School District is is being mismanaged. There's issues with um, how academic performance has allegedly declined since COVID, how the school district's COVID response has been contrary to what the public wanted. Um, number of issues that, that are out there, and this has attracted national attention, The passion, again, in this race, to me, seems to be on the side of the people pushing for the the recall, Um, whether it's the mailings that are out there, it's it's almost amazing, you know. I was listening to the Channel Four report on our newscast, and they they were saying it's it, it's it's almost like a, a governor's election or something like that. That's how it's been in Mequon Theensville over the course of the last month or so. You know, early voting. Anytime you go into City Hall day, you know, anytime during the day with early voting, you, it seemed to me that there'd be a half dozen or a dozen people that would be in City Hall casting votes. So people are very very worked up about this. At the end of the day. Again, it could be completely wrong because there's no polls at all about this. But based on on passion, I think I think this is the recall is going to succeed. You know, we'll, we'll know by, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock tonight. It's also gotten extremely ugly. I mean, with you know allegations back and forth about, oh, this is, you know, th- this person's defamed this person and stuff. It's it's just it's a hard fought local race. I think, you know, based on my sense, I think these school board members will be recalled. And then, you know, then we end up going from there. That's just kind of how I see it. But if you look at passion, no question to me, passion is on the side of the Republican gubernatorial candidate in Virginia. And the passion is on the side of the people pushing for the recall in Mequon, We'll see how far that passion takes them. When we come back. All right. Netflix. And a two-word thing from the past, Tiger King. I'll explain. We'll discuss. Stick around.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All
2: right. I'm not proud of this. I'm not, not proud of this at all. But I, I fessed up to this a year or two ago. It's one of the many streaming services I have. Netflix is one. And and I, I resisted the urge to watch this right away. But it became such a pop culture phenomena. I did not think I could do my job w- without wading in on this. And so what I did is I, I started to watch the show, figuring, okay, I'll watch You know, 20 minutes of it, and then I'll I'll just at least have an idea of what's going on, and I'll I'll be able to talk about it or address it. But I, I admit, and I'm not proud of this, started watching the show, got hooked, and ended up binge-watching the entire eight or ten episodes, or however many there were, over the course of a day and a half. And, and I, I fully acknowledge that I, I, wanted, I wanted that time back. I, it, was just, it was this ultimate guilty pleasure. I couldn't believe that I was watching this, but I ended up getting sucked in and, and, and doing, doing this, and, and watching it at the end of the time, I thought, wow, I can't believe I did that. What show am I talking about? Tiger King. Tiger King, of course, if you will remember this, this was viewed, it premiered on Netflix right before the pandemic hit big time, March of 2020. The first four weeks that Tiger King was on Netflix, it was viewed by 64 million households. That's not people, that's households. 64 million people watched Tiger King. And for those of you who did not see Tiger King. It followed the story of Joe Exotic, um, his tigers and other big cats that he had at his Tiger King Park in Oklahoma. And it, it it showed the conflict between him and this woman named Carol Baskin, who was a fellow exotic animal park owner, you know, who was trying to get the park shut down. And, and it featured all that type of stuff. And you had a whole cast of characters Involving, I mean, Joe Exotic and stuff, and and they were all just one was more bizarre than than the other, and then of course it it sort of played out that ultimately what happened is that Joe Exotic, his name's real name, his real name is Joseph Maldonado Passag,e he ultimately then he got convicted of hiring a hitman to try to murder this Carol Baskin, and now he's in prison for you know decades and stuff like this, so that. But that, that trial and stuff and what happened to him, that only kind of came up at the very end of the thing. The animal rescue thing or the animal zoo has is, is now been shut down. They're all gone. Well, anyways, Netflix has decided that, well, maybe there is still an interest in Joe Exotic, despite the fact that he is in prison. So on November 17th of this year, Netflix is going to be releasing uh, Tiger King 2. Which will feature, I don't know, the stuff that happened, you know, since the end of the original Tiger King, and will, according to Netflix, feature even more madness and mayhem. Well, I don't know about mayhem, but but clearly, you know, a madness is sort of part of, of Tiger King. All right, our number eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I got sucked in the first time. I I admit, and by the end of it, it was kind of like, I I just, I want to watch all of this because I guess I want to see where this crazy thing ends. Well, I I now know it ends with the one guy in jail and Carol Baskin doing Dancing with the Stars and things like that. I don't think I'm going to get sucked in again. I don't think the world needs Tiger King 2, but I want to tee this up. All right, especially if you watched it the first time, I mean, are, are you going to watch it again? Will this be anywhere near as popular as the first one was? And my guess is no. But what do you think? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We discuss Tiger King 2. All right. Have you been waiting for it with bated breath since March of 2020? six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So, my wife, Fran, and I have very different tastes when it comes to what we like to watch on TV. She likes to watch the Hallmark Christmas movies, and I like to watch pretty much anything but. But So, we're always looking for something that we might watch together. So, I watched the first episode of Tiger King. It was on Netflix back in March of 2020, and it was just so mesmerizingly weird. I said, okay, here, tell you what, before I watch more of this, hunt, let's watch the first episode together. Let's see if this is something that we could watch together. And she watched about 15 minutes and looked at me with that look that all you ladies learn from your mothers you know that look that says I married a moron and she just said okay you're not going to spend another seven hours of your life watching this are you and I said well yeah I'm I'm kind of I want to see where it goes she says well no thanks so my effort to try to find something we could watch together and this speaks more about her than it does for me she was like no this is not going to be the thing but I ended up watching it myself now Tiger and, and again at the end of the time I said I cannot believe it I want those seven or eight hours of my life back Tiger King 2 debuts in about two weeks. I'm not going to get sucked in. Here's what Andy says. Jeff, life is too short. I'm going to watch, I'm going to, if I'm going to switch my brain off, there are loads of other brain candy options that I could end up watching it. Um, yes, Jeff, Tiger King 2 is on my list as soon as I finish watching the paint dry. And by the way, I keep applying more coats of paint. Jeff, I've never watched it. I don't care. I will not be watching number two either. I think it would be a complete waste of my time. Well, it's hard to argue with that. There's no question about it. Jeff, I will not watch Tiger King 2. I wish I could have the seven or eight hours back from the first one that I watched. Yeah, I kind of feel the the same way about that. It's like, I can't believe that we ended up doing it. But obviously, they feel that there is enough of an interest to to write this. Now, I don't even know. I See, and I'm talking myself into this because I'm wondering, how can you even make a, a sequel to this. We we know what happened. The original Tiger King. The, the zoo is closed down. The cats have all been seized by the federal government. He's in prison for like 20 or 30 years. She's doing Dancing with the Stars. It seems to me that that's pretty much as far as it goes. Melissa Barkley, Tiger King 2, any attract... It, it debuts on Netflix on no. the 17th of November. I mean,
0: I will probably check it out. I might watch the first episode and if it, you know...
2: Oh, so you're open I, to it. I, I no, open to See, it. See, that's what got me sucked into the first time. I watched <laughs> the first one. And there was such a bizarre cast of characters. Next thing I know, I binge-watched the whole darn thing. You
0: know, it's kind of interesting because you think about the things that were popular during the
2: pandemic. Yeah.
0: And Tiger King is one of those things that I will always remember.
2: 64 million yeah. households watched it in four weeks.
0: I think we were desperate for a little bit of release when it comes to Okay, so will well, this one be
2: anywhere near as successful?
0: I don't think so because the, the shock value is over. We kind of know what to expect when it comes to Tiger King?
2: Well, well, right, and and like I say, we, okay, you you know, it's sort of like you know how it it ends. It it's he's in prison, okay, right, right. you know, for for hiring a hitman. <laughs> so he, he's in and maybe you can do an episode or something on on you know what he did to get himself thrown in prison. And sure. Then you know she's on Dancing with the Stars, and maybe you could get an episode there. But now I, I think I think the original shock value is kind of gone as well. So I'm okay. I I'm declaring I'm at least declaring the Wagner household to be a tiger king free zone and I know Fran is going to be thrilled with that we'll take a break back with more in just a minute
1: live from the annex wealth management studios at historic Radio City this is the Jeff Wagner show and now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner
2: Melissa you have to make me stop I can just I, I feel you can just feel that you're losing IQ points so here, here's what I've been doing. I've been all, all day. I've been watching the Rittenhouse trial, right? And I've got closed captions on. And I I don't happen to be on our feed. I happen to be on some YouTube feed because it's where I just I got on. So that's how I've started. And it it's it's got an open thing where you can view people's comments. It's one of these like chat things mm-hmm. that's going on. And I swear I know I, I've always said this before, but. You, if you want to just make yourself feel dumber, you just, you read the stuff that gets put in these sort of chat things and you just, you can't help it. I mean, it's just like watching the, this train wreck that, that's out there with of all these comments and every once in a while, they're just so out there. They're kind of funny, but you're just looking there thinking, my God, there's all these people out there that are watching this and they're commenting and they breed and they vote and you go, my God, <laughs> it's, it makes you wonder about the future of society. And I'm talking about all, all across the, whether yeah. they think Rittenhouse is guilty or innocent or whatever, it's just you read some of these things and you think oh my goodness gracious these and you people think, are out there why did
0: I do that why did I read those things <laughs> uh, well then but
2: then you're again you're you're, you're, mesmerized, drawn, you're, yeah. you're mesmerized by it because you're going I can't believe that person just said that and then of course you know you get the inevitable responses and it's one of the reasons that I, I, I learned doing this show by the way did you know that this is uh, this week is the anniversary? We start the 24th year of the show full time here. At Are WTMJ. you serious? Well, yeah, congrats! I didn't the, realize that. Right, they yeah. p- proving that you know PT Barnum was wrong, and you can fool some of the people, all of them. <laughs> yeah, this we start the 24th year. Oh, my, that's my show, amazing! I, I've been at TMJ. I started like in July of '98, but the full time show. Five days a week, three hours a day. It mm-hmm. started off at two hours a day. But the five days a week, it started uh, this week in November of 98. So we made it that That's far. That's yeah. Starting the 24th year. But I, I learned early on that you just... You don't read comment, You know, the, the stuff that's on the Internet and the comments and stuff, it just it just makes you dumber.
0: I mean, sometimes that's the most entertaining part is just reading it. But, you know, then it, you're like, why am I reading? This? Right, right, it,
2: well, exactly. <laughs> time you waster. Can feel myself yeah. losing okay. brain cells. I mean, you can just do that. So yeah. so I, I promise now now because I want to have it on. I've got the closed caption thing. So if something, some huge development happens, I, it's too late to like dump out of this and get on another one. But just remind me tomorrow, Jeff, Jeff, when you first come in and you pick the feed, don't pick the feed with the comments. I'll
0: give you a quick reminder. Just
2: yeah. the, exactly. <laughs> All right, that's right. In any event, the, the trial has started with witnesses. The first witness called by the prosecution and, and like I was saying earlier, from a prosecutor's perspective, you always want to tr- start off the trial on a high note. You want to start off with a really, really solid witness who you don 't think is going to be subject to lots of cross examination and all um the prosecution in this case has started out with dominic black he's the at least at the time he's the twenty one year old friend of Rittenhouse um who he was apparently dating rittenhouse's sister or something like that but but he was the one that helped him procure the, that that actually got the gun in the first place, and he was the one he Rittenhouse was i guess at his house. Before they ended up going to Kenosha. So he's sort of setting the stage for what happened and where the gun came from and things like that. He's still under direct examination. Um, so that don't don't know where that's going. But that's how the prosecution has decided to start off. All right. As we were talking about in the last hour, today is off your election day. You've got the big race going on in Virginia. If Republicans win, that will be, I will tell you, that will be a seismic sort of thing because Virginia is a state that has been reliably in the Democratic column for a, a while now, and if if the Republicans win, that's going to be kind of a road map, and sometimes you read too much into off-year elections, but that will be at least the roadmap map that I think Republicans follow to get elected, moving away from Donald Trump and trying to move towards local issues, whereas the last week or so, the Democrat campaign, the McAuliffe campaign, it, it's been more about Trump than it has been about the guy he's running against. Oh, this is Trump, 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 Trump. And if that works, you know that that's going to be the strategy the Democrats are going to employ in 2022. Well, we're going to have uh, several big races here in Wisconsin about a year from today. Uh, we've, of course, got the governor's race. Tony Evers will be running for re-election. You're going to have the congressional races open. And with Ron Kine, who's the long-serving Democrat from you know, the cross area, with him stepping down, that's going to be an open seat. And that's going to be incredible. That's a competitive district to begin with. And it's going to be incredibly competitive, I think, a, a year from now. And then at the top of the ticket... You have the U.S. Senate race. Ron Johnson is the incumbent Republican senator. He's been elected for two terms. He's been a political surprise. When Ron Johnson got into the race, 12 years ago or 11 years ago against Russ Feingold, nobody thought he had a chance of beating Feingold. And in 2010, he did. When he ran for re-election, Russ Feingold challenged him. And most of the conventional wisdom was, of course, Russ is going to get re-elected. Ron Johnson beat Russ Feingold for a second time and actually outperformed Donald Trump. That was the 2016 election. So Ron Johnson is up in 2022 it is still an ongoing open question as to whether he is going to run again. He has declined to answer that question. And I mean, when he's been on my program on multiple occasions, I've tried to push him on that. And he keeps saying, well, I've got plenty of time, don't have to make a decision right now. Don't know. My sense is he is going to run, but he still isn't He hasn't committed to that. So he does an interview with the Journal Sentinel last Friday. And the headline is, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson says political pros tell him he's the best positioned to keep the seat in the GOP hands. He says, "Um, just about everybody I talk to, I mean, the political pros believe that I am best positioned to retain the seat for Republicans. Of course, this is going to be a huge race in Wisconsin because... If Ron Johnson runs for re-election, he will be the only Republican senator running for re-election in a state that went for Joe Biden in 2020. Obviously, because of a variety of factors, Ron Johnson's being targeted. You can't watch TV nowadays without seeing some attack ad that's being run by some liberal special interest group against him. And, you know, as soon as one set of ads go off, it seems like another one goes on. So he's very, very controversial for a lot of reasons. He continues to maintain that he has not made a decision as to whether he's going to run again, but I want to take one segment of this program and allow you to give him some advice. If you were one of the pros advising Ron Johnson, if you were one that had his ear Would you tell him to run again or not? 855-616-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. And I guess the key question in deciding whether you're going to run again, assuming that you you want the job, and I haven't heard him say anything that suggests that he's ready to retire, the fundamental question becomes, do you think you can win? 855-616-1620. Can Ron Johnson win if he seeks a third term in the U.S. Senate? We discuss in a moment.
1: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855
2: 1620 That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson still... Apparently, undecided about whether he is going to run for a third term, the clock is ticking, and my comment has been for the last several months that I think if if the Senator is in the race, he should say that he's in the race because there there's a lot of people out there that are beating him up really bad, and he needs to be in full time campaign mode and if he's not going to be in the race, that's fine. he needs to get out of the way and allow. I don't know a variety of other Republicans who might run to start raising money and get in the race themselves. I I just I don't think the delay is is helping because I do believe he needs to be campaigning aggressively if he's going to get reelected. And like I say, if he's going to step aside, that's all well and good, but he needs to do it. In order to allow candidates to start to build statewide networks, you've already got like a dozen or more Democrats that are out there running ads, raising money, building campaign organizations. But if you had the ear of the senator, would you tell him the fundamental question, run or not? He says political pros tell him he's the one who is best positioned to keep the seat in Republican hands. Eight five five Let's start with text. Jeff, I don't think Ron Johnson should run again. I voted for him last time. However, the way he continually backed up Trump, even after the Capitol riots, that's going to cause him not to get reelected. I think he needs to announce that he's not running so a qualified Republican can get in the race. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, I would tell him to find a rock and hide under it oof jeff with biden numbers so low i think he can in fact win well there's there's no question and just like in 2018 even though donald trump was not on the ballot I think it was a a referendum on Donald Trump in 2018 in Wisconsin. As I've argued before, I think that's one of the reasons that Tony Evers won in 2018. It wasn't because Tony Evers inspired passion among a large number of Wisconsin voters. It was that Wisconsin voters, particularly in Madison and in Milwaukee, with the emphasis on Madison, didn't like Donald Trump. And they were going to run out to the polls and they were going to vote vote for anybody, or at least vote against anybody that had an R after their name. And in this case, Scott Walker happened to be the one that they took a lot of this out on. And I I continually believe that it was that passion that I talk about a lot when it comes to elections, that passion. We're going to run through a brick wall to send a message against then-President Trump. That's what I think benefited Tony Evers. So I guess part of the question is, will Republicans be equally as motivated to send a message and run out and vote against anybody with a D after their name? name. 855 That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Um, Jeff, I believe he said he would run for two terms. I'd like to see a politician actually do what they say, run for two terms. Um, I have nothing against him, but I think he needs to step out of the way and let someone else run. Now, he, again, he, and, and that's a correct comment. He announced originally that he was only going to run for two terms. He's saying that, you know, he's reconsidering that because, You know, he feels that um, situations have have changed and that, you know, he's needed more than ever. 855-616-1620. Linda in Fond du Lac. Hi, Linda. You're on WTMJ. Linda. Good afternoon. Hi, Linda. I've been a...
4: Hello? Yeah, go ahead. I've been a longtime supporter of... I've been a longtime supporter of Ron Johnson in the past, but based on the way he handled things following the election this year, particularly around January 6th, then I don't plan to support him in the future. And I think it'd be a good idea to give other Republicans an opportunity.
2: Okay, when you say the events around January 6, you don't th- you, what are you saying? That he didn't, you don't think he took the, the stuff that happened at the Capitol seriously enough.
4: That's correct. And the suspect that you know, he didn't announce that he was going to uh, certify the election or or vote to certify the election.
2: Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Thanks for the call. Well, that, that's clearly going to be, you know, an issue that's out there. I mean, I've said this on the radio before, and I, I mean, I've been a supporter of Ron Johnson for for years. I think um some of the fights that he has picked over the last year, kind of baffle me, because I, I guess I understand where he's coming from. But to me, it, it's I, I mean, I argue this with politicians all the time. I There was a a local politician, as a matter of fact, who jumped into an issue. I'll tell you the story. The mayor of Mequon, all right? The mayor of Mequon decided that he, who who I I know, decided that he wanted to get involved and take a position on on the school board recall race. Okay, the school board recall race has nothing to do with anything the mayor of Mequon is going to do. And in in Mequon-Thienesville, this is a really hot issue. And... You know, you're gonna, regardless of what side you jump in on, you're going to alienate a lot of people. That's just the reality. And the mayor of Mequon decided to gratuitously jump in on one side. He came out, you know, against the recall. And, and it, it's fine. I understand why he was saying he was against the recall and stuff. That, that's all well and good. But I was thinking, you know, why why are you getting involved in this this has nothing to do with what you do and by jumping in here you're just gratuitously you know inviting all this criticism and and it gains you absolutely nothing ron johnson in my opinion has is, is kind of been like that as as well he he's decided to take some some issues and take some positions on issues that even if he's just Voicing the opinion of the loyal opposition or is exploring things like, Hey, you know, are we giving enough credit to, you know, like some of the alternative treatments for COVID and things like that? Why, why you would be upfront on these issues? You know, talking to, you know, Linda's point about, you know, the uh, January 6th instance, you know, why, why you give interviews saying, well, I don't know that I found threat, felt threatened and all that stuff. Why do you even get involved in what was clearly you know whether you want to call it a riot, I don't know, but it was clearly, you know, incredibly bad behavior by people. You look at the film clips of what happened on January sixth. You have a bunch of crazies that violated however many laws, and and why you would ever attempt to minimize that is just absolutely beyond me. That those are some of these these gratuitous fights that the senators pick that for the life of me I, I don't understand. Mike and Madison, Mike, you're on WTMJ yeah hey jeff um
3: i i partially agree well okay number one ron johnson's my favorite citizen politician in wisconsin Mm -hmm. um i I love those ads ads.
2: you know i I go back to in 2010 those whiteboard ads that he would do you know where he'd say okay we've got you know 86 lawyers and and this and that you've got like no businessmen." i i think those were some of the most effective political ads i think i've ever seen
3: I, i i totally agree um I very much would like him to run again. I think it would be tough. Well, the good news for him is I think 22 will be a Republican year. Yes. The bad the bad news is I think, as you mentioned, he's been targeted by the Democrats nationally, and they're going to do everything they can to make his life difficult, and they've been proving that for the last one or two years. Right. Um, um. And I, By the way, and I partially agree or disagree with you, strategically he gets into things maybe that he shouldn't, i give i guess i give him credit for being gutsy about it
2: um yeah i I, I guess by that i mean though sometimes you know you i I don't know sometimes it just seems to me he picks fights for the sake of picking fights there's really no upside on i guess that's my you call it gutsy i'm just like i keep thinking okay why why are we have why why are we sticking our finger into this particular meat grinder we know what's gonna what's gonna come out of it
3: you're, you're right. Strategically, strictly politically, you're, it's a mistake. Um, I guess the reason I give him credit is he's like, to me, he's sort of like a um, Mr.
2: Like I forgot Mi- the name of the movie. Mr. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, the Jimmy Stewart character, right. sure.
3: Right. I think right. right. there's a degree of being naive, I think, uh, but I think your point's well taken.
2: Do you think, Mike, that, that he needs to decide soon, one way or the other, and announce it?
3: Yes, I do. I think he needs to decide today.
2: Yeah, yeah, Tonight. yeah I I I agree. No, th- thanks co- because because if you, thanks because co- that that's one thing I think everybody can agree on. If he's going to be in the race, he needs to be in the race. He needs to be in full campaign mode. You need to. Um, if there's going to be outside money that comes in on his side, responding to some of these attack ads, you got to do it. You can't let the, this this constant barrage of attacks go on day after day after day. And if you're going to pull out for whatever reasons, if you're not going to run for reelection, you need to clear the decks and allow other candidates to emerge and start raising money because the other side is out there doing this uh, aggressively. So, I mean, I've been saying this for a while and I, I agree with Mike. If, if I, I think, you know, the sooner he announces it, the better. And it probably should have been months ago, one way or the other. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.